once again to the Overmanga cast. My name is Sam, and uh, we are in week three of No Read November 2, and I am questioning existence. This was supposed to be the good one, guys. <laughs> uh, as you can tell by the audio quality, we managed to get in the same room for this one. Um, I'm not sure it was for the good, because we watched this week, Ilina Battle Angel, which... Um, what sure was something. It has the highest budget of anything we've watched so far. That's this was the... supposed to be the good one, guys. So, as always, uh, we start with our familiarity with the franchise. Before, like, the movie was announced, I knew that Aelita was a thing that existed because it was, like, one of the, oh, you, man, you really gotta read it, it's super good, manga. But that was about it. And then the movie was announced and there was the whole controversy with the eyes. And uh, then I forgot about it until now. How about you, Jake? Uh, well, I was vaguely aware of an Alita Battle Angel manga existing. I also uh, remember distinctly, I, I had heard good things about this movie, uh, that it was actually, like, just a good movie. Um... <laughs> We're, we're going to talk about that. <laughs> uh, Matt, how about you? Uh, so I knew this movie as the creepy eye whitewashing movie. Uh, so that's why I picked this to be on Memory <laughs> November. <laughs> and Jay. Interesting comments. Um, so my familiarity kind of rode the whole Aelita Battle Angel hype where I frantically like tried to look into the source material and ended up reading a few chapters, but never anything in too much depth. Thought it was pretty cool and put it on my list for eventually, which obviously never came around. And that is how we ended up here with this movie that opens. Honestly, the way the movie opens is pretty indicative of the way the movie is entirely throughout because it just opens up with the most obvious metaphor you've ever seen in your entire life and just slaps you in the face with it. This movie does not do metaphors. It will do a metaphor, then explain to you what the metaphor meant. But to be fair, that might be strategic marketing. As we were Mm. kind of like looking for who was the target audience, and it looked like this was like one of those big films of a decade that is meant to be mass marketed across various audiences. It, it is it is a Hollywood movie meant for foreign markets, and that is very clear. Yeah, it, it yeah. has it has producer fingerprints all over it. Which is probably why it starts with the flying city literally pooping on the <laughs> city below with its big butthole. And um, a guy who looks like he's out of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen uh, wandering around and... I I just want to point this out because I'm never going to again. They show him silhouetted and he picks up like a like robot claw. And for just a second, I think he looks like Freddy from Nightmare (laughs) on Elm Street. And I'm not sure if that's intentional, but I found joy in it. I'm just going to say Christoph, like Waltz, I recognize him from Inglorious Bastards. I really appreciate him as an actor. And that was part of the reason why I really like. No, he's an amazing actor. Yeah. The script is the problem with everything he says. (laughs) Yes. I agree with this. Guy like speaks like six languages. He's just like amazing. He's an inspiration. Yes. But uh, he finds a half destroyed torso of a robot. And uh, after a very dramatic shot, uh, brings it back to his office where he proceeds to uh, 
just skips, or, well, okay, he doesn't skip straight to giving it a full body. He brings in a carefully swaddled, like, lower body. This movie does, the, it starts off doing the thing it will do throughout, where they will tease you about a secret that you're not supposed to know about. It's supposed to spark, like, inquiry. And then a scene immediately after will basically spoil what the surprise was supposed to be. And then, like, four scenes later, they'll reveal what it was supposed to be. But it's lost all impact at that point. Yeah. Because they, they I mean, most of the time, it's one of those ones where it's like, how are you not supposed to know it's so obvious what the thing is? Other occasions, they'll literally just say out loud what the surprise is and then act like they can do the surprise later when the when it should be revealed. Wow, he's treating those uh, robot legs with such reverence. They must mean something very important to him. Oh, wow, in the very next scene, he is treating the person who now has the robot legs in a very paternal manner. I wonder what this could mean. Oh, these were my daughter's prosthetic legs before she died. Oh, boy, I can't wait to get to the daughter death scene. That's one of the best. So anyway, we get our titular character, Aelita, who is named seemingly haphazardly by the doctor. Uh, she wakes up. She's just like, hey, what does food taste like? This is food. Who are you people? Do I not know you? That's OK. I trust you implicitly now. And that's about as much as you get watching the movie. So I think we're good here. Yeah. <laughs> the warning flags of of the problems of this, because like in all honesty, like. Yeah, I, I, I'd heard good things about it. I wanted to give it as much of a chance as possible, but the warning flags come up pretty quickly. The big problem with the opening of the movie, which it ends up having ripple effects throughout the rest of it, is it is so... It's not just bad at exposition, it's awkward with exposition. Mm-hmm. And the movie seems to think it can just exposit literally everything, including character interactions and motivations. The, the first 20 minutes of this movie are literally characters explaining the world, their own motivations, and Aelita's motivations to her. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really great because uh, she meets a street urchin who who has an unusual amount of knowledge <laughs> about the yeah. world's best. Yeah. I, know, I think it's kind of unfair to call him a street urchin. I mean, just from first glance, I kind of... He has more money than most people in this setting. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's, let's do this right now because we're never going to mention this for the rest of the movie because the movie doesn't. The world building in this is excellent. Like, they've yes. got amazing background artists. Like, there are, like, extras walking behind with, like, prosthetics. There's a whole thing about how the doctor is, like, the only person doing, like, quality prosthetic work in this world of people who need robotic prosthetics. Mm. And then the movie forgets that's important because Murderball exists. I'm sorry, Motorball exists. We never get into why they need these prosthetics because we understand the fall. Because it's a hard world, man. That's That's why. That's the other thing. They talk about the fall, which was a war that happened 300 years ago. But everyone refers to it as if it was yesterday. As it just happened, yes. Like all these people who are like, okay. I, I hate the fact that I bring up Full Metal Alchemist every week of this month. But <laughs> so in FMA, there is a sequence where the brothers go to a town that is like the forefront of automail technology. And it seems pretty cool and innocent up front until you think, hey, wait a minute. Why are there enough people with missing limbs to have an entire town's economy be only high quality prosthetics? Yeah. 
And yeah, then that makes you think more about, you know, Amestris's uh, um, warmongering ways. And, you know, it adds some, It ends up being directly plot relevant to It ends up being story. directly plot relevant. Meanwhile, like Matt said, everyone talks about this 300-year-old war like it just happened and we're all vets who need our arms replaced. I'm just saying, we're not going around saying, you remember the revolution. Yeah. <laughs> That's equivalent, yes. It, it really does feel like that. And, like, the thing is, so many characters... Like, at one point, um, the Doctor, uh, he he says to Alita, before the fall, there used to be police that handled crime. Dude, it was 300 years ago. Your grandparents weren't born yet. Why are you talking about this like you saw it? <laughs> yeah. It's... Yeah, they're... It's a it's a world building thing that happened so long ago. No living human should remember it, but because it's part of the world, the characters all act like they all have intrinsic knowledge of the setting. It's it. kind of a hint to the later plot because, as it will mm-hmm. be revealed, Alita I, is over well, three hundred like, years old. I, I guess uh, yes, Alita is three hundred years old. Spoilers, but um, like the main thing is that's just bad sci-fi. Is when yeah. you assume the audience has the knowledge. Or when you assume the characters in the world have the same knowledge the audience who witnesses things on a grand scale have, it creates a really shallow experience for mm-hmm. them. Yeah. Yeah. It, which is a shame because so much of the rest of this does feel like a pretty intense yep. and enjoyable cyberpunk set. The set design is extraordinary. It really does look like a, a real life, real world city that went through yeah. like 500 years of history no. and got to the state that it's in. It's just unfortunate that nearly every word spoken breaks that illusion. Like, any complaints we will continue to have about this movie... Because there's a lot. ...are not because of the world building or the set design. Both of those are excellent. Mm. At no point did any of us feel like this movie was cheap. Right. And one of the big things about the world building that comes up uh, is when Aelita and the Doctor are out and about, and... Um, in probably what is the most subtle character scene for Aelita, uh, she's just hanging out with a dog, and... <laughs> this dog. That dog. That dog sure is a dog. <laughs> it, is, it is the scruffiest looking tiny dog possible, <laughs> and has no reason to show up in the rest of the movie, don't worry. <laughs> but, uh, she's just hanging out with this dog, you know, having a cute moment. And this giant robot comes stomping by, like, get out of the way or get crushed. It literally says that out loud with words. <laughs> and Aelita squares up to fight it. And it's like, oh, she just kind of reflexively did that. Hints at her past. But of course, she can't fight this thing. So she gets tackled aside by a street urchin. And she is like, wait a minute, it's going to step on the dog. Save the dog. So she so she does a really awkward looking flip and and my heart sunk because this like that that look it looked so bad. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, the rest of the set pieces were and I, the part of the movie that was watchable. So, but I'm like, wow, they really did a good job using this act this like miniature action scene for character informing stuff. Yeah. Maybe we can have some actual like subtle descriptions. And then Hugo is who I hate so much. <laughs> he steps up and he's like, that was a sentry. They patrol the streets to watch out for crime. Hey, why don't you watch where you're going? You know, hey, hey, girl, do you know about Zalem? <laughs> Hold on. If they have sentries patrolling the streets for why crime. Why do they need the bounty hunters? Shh, shh, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Hey, hey, Jay, make sure you're speaking audibly for the microphone. <laughs> no. Please stop whispering. Please stop leaning on the thing the mic's on. We've told you not to do this already. Um, stop you're, it. You're laughing as if we're not aware. You guys look silly. You know what? If the audience can't hear you, I guess that's their fault, then. <laughs> yes, audience, do better. <laughs> audience, if you can't hear Jay, message her at Sushi... I don't know your Twitter handle. No, this you is... don't. <laughs> She's one Sushi of the one... vampire? She's like one of the, the like two dozen followers we have. Just do that. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. We have 158 followers. <laughs> oh, that's actually pretty good. No, it's what? not compared to other people in hey, our demographic. Hey, do not compare yourself. That to others in our demographic? That's a very good comparison. It's not. We're cutting all of it. Wow, they're really not paying attention to the plot of the movie. Yeah, neither does the movie. Plot! So, um... It's important. We get... The plot. We get the setup. Okay. The, the like, one moment of setup and drama we get is Aelita finds a wanted poster of it's like, Wanted. Unknown criminal has murdered six human women. Or an human women. We don't know. No, it's definitely six human women, but the font they chose does look a lot like an ampersand. Poor font choice. And and then uh, later on in the later on in the scene, Aelita wakes up in the middle of the night after we witness another one of these murders, but you know, of course we don't see the murderer. And it's uh, the doctor coming home late at night. And blood-borne outfit. Yeah. In his blood-borne outfit with, with a bandage on his arm. Man, this movie does spend a lot of time setting up this plot point that goes nowhere. Mm-hmm. That goes nowhere and just kind of, like, stops existing. Well, because it's, it's the next scene is basically she hangs out with her boyfriend. She's like, hey... I'll show you a point of the city that no one's ever seen before and takes her to like this abandoned church. Mm-hmm. And it's like, from there you can see Zalem, the city that lives above us. They basically just poop out their garbage onto us. Do you get the metaphor? If I had your strength, I'd just climb up there. Audience, remember that for later. And then they mm-hmm. cut to, hey, maybe I should investigate where Doctor goes at night because he's got his briefcase. Yeah. And isn't this also the introduction of... Uh, it's actually called uh, Motorball, but uh, Matt's uh, title for the sport, Murderball, <laughs> is more descriptive, more accurate, and funnier. So we will continue to call it Murderball. The, it shows up on a screen. She's watching that, and the doctor goes, you don't have time for such silly things like that. Which is a really strong character moment. It never comes up again. Yeah. In fact, it gets actively contradicted later. Audience, remember, the doctor does not like Motorball. Anyway, so, uh, Aelita follows the doctor around at night, and uh, it's intercut with this shot of this, you know, obvious um, cyberpunk-looking lady in this, like, weird red hoodie cloak thing. And it looks like the doctor's gearing up to murder her. Uh, so Aelita leaps in to stop him and he's like, no, you messed up my trap. Or was this another trap? As like three more chromed out fucking cyborgs show up. So yeah, in retrospect, I don't understand what happened in this scene. Like it was just like he was hunting a target. Yeah. But the target was hunting him. I think yeah. that yeah. I think what was supposed to be going on is he was following someone who would have been a... Uh, would have been a victim to the murderer, but it turns out that that was actually a cohort cohort of 
the murderer. It doesn't, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because this plot point never comes up again now that I'm thinking. Why did they have the po- the wanted poster? So that she wants to become a bounty hunter. I'm sorry. This movie calls them Hunter Warriors. Which we, we had to... So we, we thought... We were giving this movie the benefit of the doubt. They just badly translated what it was in the manga. No, the manga calls them Hunter Warriors. So it's just English. So it's just bad. It's just bad. I wanted to give this movie the benefit of the doubt, and this is what it got me. And it didn't earn it. (laughs) But um, a fight scene happens. Aelita is cool. A a good fight scene happens. It's a awesome fight scene. I think this is a good point to point out. The fight scenes in this movie are better the amount of CGI they are. This fight Uh scene is like 99% CGI. It's great. The only bad parts are where they have to put the human faces on the CGI models, and then it looks weird because they get stretched and uncanny valley. Like, is really what... This movie is basically uncanny valley. I would arguably prefer that over FMA fight scenes. FMA fight scenes were just bad. They were just... They were just bad on every. Of level. all the all the pieces we watched during No Read November, I would definitely so, prefer. In in all fairness, this movie probably had ten times the budget. Oh, it absolutely of FMA. did. I think it had a theater release, didn't it? Yeah, FMA had had a theater release. Not in America. Not in America. Not in where the real movies come out. (laughs) Anyway, the point being, the fight scenes do look good. And And unfortunately for for the the big uh, final moment of this fight scene, we need to get an extreme close-up on the very uncanny valley Alita eye. Her freaking anime eyes. Hey, girl, you got them anime eyes. Which, so, which I feel like a lot of guys would be into so, at first. So, Jay, <laughs> since, until too long, too since we've watched this movie and the audience has either decided they want to watch this movie or have decided our talking about it is good enough for them. Good choice. Um, Jay, why did they keep the anime eyes? Why did they keep them? Yeah, you looked it up. Yeah, there you looked it up. So I spoiled it for myself. So apparently this had to do with... Arguably, a lot of the background information they kept out of the movie, the more of the Martian aspect of it. So apparently the genetic mutation they did on Mars, like, required them to make their eyes bigger so that they could absorb greater amounts of light. And oh, so, so it's so it's for the sequel bait ending is what you're saying. So it's an it's an adaptation that doesn't make sense on home Earth. Yeah, people who haven't watched this movie, I'm sorry. It ends with sequel bait, so be yeah. prepared. <laughs> so, yeah, by me adding that, like, that's what I meant. It's a spoiler that is... It makes so, sense, but not in what we watched. Huh. There's less I, light on I, Mars, so they I have on- more bigger eyes to absorb more light. I honestly can't believe this movie left anything out. This is the longest two also, hours of my life. Also, yeah. James Cameron, apparently, when they had the first like promo, said he wanted the eyes to be smaller. So they would have potentially been even bigger than they were in the final. This was James... Th- Matt, this was James Cameron trying to save us. <laughs> man, if he can give us Avatar, he can give us anything. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. They were originally bigger, apparently. James Cameron, MVP. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh... So, Eileen has a cool fight scene. Reveals she's a cyborg from Mars? I guess she the, has that fight. Yeah. The Martian stuff doesn't come up yet. Mar- she, yeah. has a, she has a war flashback of, of her fighting on the moon. 
Oh, and we get revealed later that means she's a Martian. Yeah. She, it's not she really has, clear. Yeah, she has more flashbacks later. But the thing that was so frustrating to me is like, because like, I was still holding out hope for the movie because it's like it was being extremely blunt and it was doing really bad with exposition. But like, I was holding out false hope, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it's like, it does this, it does this like, slow zoom into her face which goes into oh her giant anime God. eye into this really blunt and awkward flashback and then it comes out for the last like four seconds of the cool fight scene and then it just goes on to another exposition scene yeah she has these flashbacks where she's got like a cool like commander lady who's really cool and it's probably one of the most characterized people in this like entire movie doesn't matter. Doesn't, Doesn't matter. show up. No He's name. Been, been dead for 300 years. Yep. In all honesty, I, I wish I was watching a movie about the backstory of this because that seems significantly more cool. interesting. The final note I want to make on this fight scene is that the big guy, the one guy that survives this uh, is a very, very large man who is basically pure Borg Noganic. And uh, I do not know his name. So he is Adam Smasher. So, he's um, also made of basketballs. Yeah, yeah he, his, he's got skin, but it's been stretched over mechanical parts, so it's like, he looks like basketballs. Yeah. <laughs> also, at this point, none of us remember anything he's past this. Yeah. Because no one matters. I barely remember Hugo. <laughs> I mean, Hugo's a cool name. Hugo is a cool name. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, Aelita finds out she's a super cool cyborg lady who's got karate powers, which we get established. She does not have super strength. Her karate is just that good. Yeah. They That's just, dumb. They call that out specifically, did, yes. I mean, did we go over the fact that her brain is still alive? Like that? Yeah, she has a 300-year-old brain. That's still functional I despite still, her robot body. Like, this is where, like, I need to put on my sci-fi hat and be like, is she still, so, she's still technically a con- cyborg? Or considering she- we get sequel baited at the end, I think there might be some nonsense of she got thrown out by, um... Nova. Nova no. in Zolom. Is that the name yeah. of the city? Yeah. She got, yeah. She got thrown out? Well, because she was her, deposited her. on the top of the trash pile. So something weird happened there. But the movie does not give you a conclusion to this. So it doesn't matter for a review of the movie. I yeah. have my thoughts based on flashbacks that are revealed in the movie. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, I don't think it was Nova. Oh, okay. Possible. I don't think it was Nova. Anyway, it doesn't matter because the movie doesn't tell you and this yeah. is never going to be a sequel. <laughs> yep. Let's speculate wildly. <laughs> Let us speculate wildly. But anyway, it is at this point that the movie realistically should have diverted into three separate timelines and nary they shall meet of Aelita follows her memories, Aelita becomes a bounty hunter, or Aelita becomes a sports star in Murderball. And I already know which one I would actually watch. And instead, the movie just smashes them all together and says, hey, you want a... Whatever this is. Oh, is this going to keep saying f***? Because I have to edit this? Yes. Yeah. Well, f***. (laughs) (laughs) But it it is at this point that it kind of becomes a slurry of side stories. Because Aelita is struggling for her identity and her lost memories. Mm -hmm. Simultaneously, she is infatuated with Motorball and wants to become a pro at it. He's Simul- also infatuated with the person who taught her yeah, about motorbikes. I was about to say, this yeah. will get really freaking awkward often. So, 
She is. She does. There is a scene before she meets him where she's like, motorball's kind of cool. And then she gets real into motorball. But that's only after she's into Hugo. So I'm not 100% sure how much she's just into motorball. Yeah. But but she's so she's into motorball because she's into this boy. And they play a scrimmage match together that will not follow the rules of the sport. So I'm not sure what they were doing. The movie never establishes the rules. It doesn't matter. I feel like it follows the normal track record of mundane sports that people enjoy becomes high stakes and your life is on the line for some reason. In the future. (laughs) And and also, Aelita wants to become a bounty hunter, which is somehow separate from the following her warrior past plotline. This this movie had three distinct plots, any one of which should have been the entire plot of the movie. There's a strong argument to be made. They could have done one and a half. And given what how good, given the quality of the various set pieces, it should have been mostly Alita's past catching uh, her Alita learning her own past and it catching up with her with it with a B plot of murder ball. But it didn't do that. Uh, arguably, she catches up with her own past immediately and then murder ball happens. And then the bounty hunter plot is there and it feels rushed and is never really satisfying. Yeah, because Alita gets real into the idea of becoming a bounty hunter because Your dad's a bounty hunter, but don't call him your dad because he's not my real dad. Only my body parts are my dad. The only linchpin for all of these plot elements is the fact that she's trying to find out why she has these murderous battle tendencies. She has these murderous battle tendencies. And so this is like an extension of her self-exploration of self. And so that's the reason why she starts exploring all of them. But why they continue to be fleshed out, I do not understand because... Halfway through, maybe she figures out her truth, and it's just like <laughs> this movie and felt all like these it was, plot lines keep going. Yeah, exactly. This movie felt like it was written by three different people at points. Oh yeah, no, I, oh, I, I, so I strongly funny. believe. And honestly, the thing to me, I wonder if because I I don't know anything about the source material. I wonder if this was that problem that we've mentioned a couple of times where the first movie like you know if you get you either get one movie or you get a trilogy and if this was the let's try to do everything we can first movie problem where it was put shoving in a bunch of plot lines from the manga except they clearly didn't because we end on sequel bait we we end on sequel bait but like it, it it does feel like this is like it it feels like this is three arcs of a long form manga all shoved into one movie. It, it, yeah. None of it was necessary. None of this movie was necessary. None of this movie was necessary. Uh, and perhaps the most unnecessary part, I don't know why this sticks out in my head so much, probably because the movie spends so much time on it, but the bounty hunter plot line uh-huh. that um, it's intersecting with... So Aelita and her boyfriend go to watch a motorball uh yeah, a, a, a motorball match game thing. It's it's effectively presented as if it's NASCAR, except the people die. Yeah, R.I.P. Dale Earnhardt. Never forget. Yeah. Um and, and like <laughs> <laughs> nice guys. If you hadn't laughed, they wouldn't know that was a joke. <laughs> so you're gonna hear from the Earnhardt family for jinxing them. What the hell? <laughs> so. They're about halfway through watching this match on the sidelines, and Hugo uh, is like, oh, hey, babe, I gotta run. Immediately after- I gotta go do shady shit. 
but we're gonna put a mask on me for about 45 no, seconds. No, no, this, this movie pretends for literally, like, a minute and a half that you wouldn't know that this group of masked teenage hoodlums were the people you just saw leave the motorball game for having oh, something else to do. Wow. How dare you call them hoodlums? They're hoodlums. Because essentially what happens is we find out, at some point we find out that the person who's having sex with the head of the motorball league... Not explicitly. Is, Not explicitly. It's strongly implied. She's in lingerie in his bed. That's movie talk for they... I'm sorry that you guys don't just have chicks who hang around in lingerie around you. I wish. <laughs> I wish. That is movie talk for that, but... um. <laughs> The point being that uh, Hugo and the boys have to leave so they can go and scab it up and uh, jack some guy's chrome. And we're not. This wasn't cyberpunk, Sam. Wrong it's terminology. Bas- basically, it's very cyberpunk. They they beat up people and steal their body parts. Yeah. But but they explicitly they don't kill them. They're not murderers. They just steal their lungs. Yeah. Oh, this, not even. This mo- they just steal their limbs. It'd be like... Whoa, we see them robbing a guy. He's... Of, of his take, limbs. He's getting, having his torso. Out of his torso. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty it, intense. The point being that... Um, what was the point being? The there point is no point in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, so basically, they get interrupted. Because what happened was the doctor's ex-wife is having an... Not an affair. She's with the head of the motorball league. And he basically goes, this one motorball player is too good. He's got a weapon that instantly murders all his opponents. It's not entertaining to watch. So we need that guy's weapons taken out. The guy basically goes, hey, we need him taken out. How are we going to do that? We get our group of thugs to go take him out. And then we cut to a group of thugs who are masked. And then at the very end, it's revealed that Hugo is one of the thugs. <gasps> and no one is surprised. Shuck. How could Hugo be shifty, even though it was really obnoxiously blunt that he was shifty? The entire time. Literally from the first time he was on screen. I'm just the saying, entire time like, he's there's, like, there's a continual trend of Aileta just being very naive of people. And that makes sense once we get a glimpse into her past. She yeah. was never tra- like, trained to socialize with people in unbattle-related manners. Yeah, so basically, like, Aelita is just told, Hey, girl, I know I took you to this NASCAR event. Can you get home by yourself? I gotta go not do crime. And she's like, yeah, of course, Hugo, you're perfect. And everyone just watches him then commit a crime. Because they don't trust the audience to know anything. They really don't trust the audience to know anything. The part that killed me the most in terms of, like, the metaphors being completely unsubtle is um, after the fight in the alleyway where Aelita has her first flashback of her on the moon doing karate. With uh, guns. With guns. Uh, also, they, guns are illegal in the city they're in. Yeah. Uh, so we just use, uh, we just use uh, swords sharpened to uh, the molecular level because that's so much better. And cybernetics that shoot out finger whips the speed of bullets. Yeah. <laughs> but, but the part that killed me was, so Aelita has her flashback of her being on the moon. Set up. And then she is talking with the doctor about it and he's like... Oh, and the doctor doesn't want to talk about it because he wants his daughter to be, you know, perfect and not violent. More setup. And then third scene payoff, Aelita sitting on her bed, looking at the moon, getting up and doing katas. 
and that would be perfectly fine. Except before she gets up and do and does katas, she has echoey flashback memory lines of the lines we just heard. But it's not like she reacts to those memories, so it almost screams to me this was ADR'd in later because they didn't believe the t- audience would understand, mm-hmm, understand what understand the was- subtext. Th- this movie does not trust its audience to know anything at all. They explain metaphors, they will have needless dialogue re explaining scenes for the widest audience possible. Yes, they have scenes in the beginning that explain twists that are going to happen later. This movie does not trust its audience. And, of, and, I do under, and I do understand the foreign markets thing, but at what point is it at what point is at it hammering point is the it, point home to appeal to non-English speakers? And at what point is it treating is it your audience treating your audience like toddlers? Yeah. So here's the other thing. Cyberpunk as a genre kind of depends on thought about it. Like there's a lot of like what what is the what nature of mean? cybernetics? Yeah. Like what is the nature of reality? Like there's a lot of thought in cyberpunk as a genre that this movie just denies yeah what do you mean it what do you it literally explains there every is no single thing. there is no thought in this movie there's no room there is for no, deeper critical there thinking. is nothing up to interpretation they explain they, they explain, explain everything. Yeah. Uh, I think I think one of the most entertaining <laughs> moments was uh, <laughs> I'm sorry Jay do you have a different opinion please express it for the podcast the only point I wanted to express is I don't think necessarily that this the whole purpose behind the movie is cyberpunk. I feel like aesthetically it is, but it's not cyberpunk, steampunk, or any type oh, of no, post no. anything post apocalyptic punk. No, anything. no, the genre is definitely not. The genre is vaguely cyberpunk, but it's, it's not. It's, it's aping the aesthetics without this is, the. Heart. This is my criticism of all the punks, which I'll go into on a different podcast. But <laughs> which <yeah>. one? <laughs> a discussion episode, clearly. Ooh. Yeah. How punk isn't punk enough? Yeah. That's my complaint. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's not supposed to be just the aesthetic. It's supposed to be a freaking lifestyle. It's punk. Like, if you're cyberpunk, but you play a corpo, you're not playing cyberpunk. Yeah. Mm. Anyway. You can't just stick gears on shit. <laughs> that's, that's steampunk. Steampunk is not barely punk. anything. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Anyway, the point being, Aelita wants to become a bounty hunter because it helps her chase the high of adrenaline to get more flashbacks. I Yeah, I guess I, this plot line definitely does happen. She goes and becomes a bounty hunter and then wanders into a bounty hunter bar and is like, hey, I'm a bounty hunter now. And they're like, oh, this scene, the, the best worst scene in the entire movie. Goes in okay. and just gets her license and yeah. You cool. know, you know that meme of, hey, this is stealing Steve. This is murdering Mike. This is Tony. What did Tony do? You know that, you know the meme. I know you know the meme audience. And they do that whole bit and end it on the guy saying, yeah, we hunt our warriors. We're putting a lot of English on this that the movie doesn't. We hunter warriors, uh, we only watch out for ourselves. It's whoever gets the kill first that matters. And Aelita, after just hearing this, stands up and does a appeal to their better nature rallying cry speech about how we need to band together to defeat Adam Smasher because he's being protected by the Corpos. 
Which was not well established by the movie up to that. No, no, she does kind of come out of nowhere saying, by the way, he's threatening my family. And one of my family is one of you guys. And after just being told that bounty hunters just look out for themselves, proceeds to appeal to their sense of community, which she just got told doesn't exist. This does introduce the guy with the cyber dogs, though. So there, that's kind we of do cool. like cyber dogs. There was a man who sits down, and the entire time he was there, I'm like, that man is not standing up because they did not animate his robot legs. I was proven wrong, but not by much. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a whole bunch of cyber dogs. Uh, oh, the little dog that Ilita became friends with. It's randomly no showed up. <laughs> she, that dog is not part of the cyber dogs. That dog is just in this bar for no reason. Yep, it followed Aelita and Hugo in. And this will become plot relevant later. Yeah, because Adam Smasher shows up after a bar fight. Uh, it's a cool bar fight. Is, is he? Yeah, because basically they fight Aelita and she's just like, I'll fight each of you. But if you lose, you have to join my team. But then she offers nothing for if they beat her. So it's, yeah. I don't understand why someone would fight. But whatever. So she's winning the bar fight, whatever. Uh, doctor shows up. He's got his boom hammer because he's a member of the Powder Keggers. This is a Bloodborne movie. Yeah, so the Doctor has a weapon that's a hammer with a rocket engine on the back. At maybe two points in the entire movie, he uses that weapon as you would expect it to work. The other times, it's just a hammer that shoots exhaust off of one side with no momentum difference. Like yeah. It's, yeah. So Adam Smasher shows up, ruins the party, kills the dog off screen. Oh my god, this was the this is the wildest experience because here's Matt over here. I am just like, I hope he kills the dog. Because I didn't expect the movie. The movie had been so by the books, I would have expected her to save the dog. So I was expecting it to show some amount of guts of commit to a bit. And kill the dog. I'm sitting here safe in the knowledge that they would never do that. They're not just going to kill the goddamn dog. They'd never do that. And somehow, this movie, in its infinite wisdom, disappoints <laughs> both me and Jim <laughs> simultaneously. <laughs> all right, all right. I would argue that it was then that they kind of needed to sacrifice the dog to get people no, to kind of buy in emotionally I, to I, the movie. I agree with you. At that point, they did need to buy in emotionally because you don't care about anything at this point. They killed the dog off screen. Yep. Ailita takes the dog's blood, wraps it under her eyes like war paint because she's wearing dog's blood right now. That's fine. That's the thing. She got that dog in her. And then proceeds to never show the dead dog. And in group shots of the bar afterwards, the dog's body has just disappeared. And a pool of blood as well. So, So again... They somehow managed to disappoint Jake by killing the dog, disappoint Matt by not committing hard enough to it, and disappoint everybody by being so fucking milk toast. So You're welcome, everyone. The movie proceeds to do nothing in this climactic scene. <laughs> so, Aelita uh, and Adam Smasher do a big fight scene. Uh, at one point, he manages to sever basically all of her limbs except one arm. She- oh, that was hilarious. Yeah. Cause, well, because she's doing the Matrix dodge through his, like, finger whips of blades, and you're like, oh, she's so cool, she's going to make it. And then suddenly he's like, oh, no, he can control the whips as they're out. Proceeds to slice her into, like, 
16 pieces. She falls like torso and a left arm. Mm-hmm. So she's just got her one arm. She somehow manages to pull some Cirque du Soleil shit. And <laughs> at first she's crawling away with the one arm like you would expect. And it's it's one of those ones where it's like, this is a this is actually a kind of tense scene, but I just don't care about any of the characters that Man, are here. How will this movie ruin this? <laughs> so she gets up on her arm, does a flip, and Adam Wesker's her arm straight through Adam uh Adam Smasher's fucking eye. Hi. Yep. And uh, so he is chased off by Dogman with his dogs. With his cyber dogs. I'll point out, they are current. They they smashed their way into the basement. And he has a line about like, didn't you know this city was built on a city of built on a city? There's cities all the way down. You can keep going down. I was born here. That matters nothing. No one cares. It doesn't matter. But my point is, these robot dogs somehow climbed down a ladder into the sewers. I don't understand how. They don't explain how. They They're cyber dogs. They are, cyber, they are dogs. both Co- cyber and conven- wonderful. Conveniently, this fight was happening directly next to a sewer entrance so uh-huh. that everyone could enter the scene immediately <laughs> in order to save Aelita. Yeah. Because her arm breaks off in Smasher's eye. Yeah, she's defenseless entirely uh-huh. without perhaps her teeth. That would be cool. <laughs> she's clearly not. <laughs> yeah. But... Uh, I like how we got to the point of Aelita losing her cyber body, and we never talked about the scene of Aelita getting, getting the, the other cyber one. body. Oh, that. I forgot because literally what happens is it's a complete non sequitur. She goes out with her teen hoodlum friends. They're like, "Hey, I wanted to take you out to the Badlands. Let's the, take you out to the Badlands, the Badlands." And you know they're in this grimy, shitty city. You know, they're, they're it's like we're it's, living we're living under uh, extreme. You know, capitalistic, you know, authoritarianism. Basic cyberpunk. You're like, there's no way out. Five minutes outside of the city, there's a fucking oasis of beautiful, like, jungle foliage. It is is a lush forest around a river and a lake. Yeah, yeah, you You don't understand conceptually. This is Badlands compared to the city. No, Obviously, you, people. You just gotta. You just gotta take a left turn at the intersection. If you hit the uh, Lost City of Xerxes, you went too far. Guys, guys, <laughs> we can't go live out in the lush jungle of a perfect oasis. The Thai food doesn't deliver that far. And how can we live without Thai food in the cyberpunk future? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but actually, hind point. How can we live without Thai food in the current now? So in this. Completely unlivable jungle oasis in the middle of the Badlands. They find a crashed Martian ship because that's what the fall was. There was a Martian civilization that went to war with Earth. Yes. Also, audience, if you're confused because you haven't watched this movie, don't worry. This We're scene, confused too. This scene makes no sense. It lasts like five minutes long, and it's just exposition they never reference it again yeah hugo just explains that hey did you know this thing about the history audience and also alita like because that's this movie in general and um they for i don't know why they go to the martian ship under the lake but they but like alita's like hey we should go in there to which the the one of the teen hoodlums that I suppose technically is relevant later. Uh, he He's like, we can't. It's underwater. Then why did you go there in the first place? And I mean, it's like, hey, I've got a cyborg body. I don't need to breathe. Poosh. No, 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 no. She does not mention she needs to breathe. Yes. Because, because it cuts they back no to the teens. Like, like, going like, did she just? 
Is, is she okay? Did she just die? We're completely in the dark. Yeah, the one time this movie doesn't verbally explain something, it's to scare the shit out of some kids. It's so dumb. But yeah, Alita, Alita goes into the Martian ship, and in all honesty, it's not a bad scene, because, like, mm-hmm. like her, her going through and having, like, the muscle memory of, like, knowing this ship, and it, like... Because, like, at this point, it actually, like, fully comes back to her in earnest who she was, which kind of indicates that maybe this should be, like, not Earlier? necessarily the end of the... Well, no, 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 no. It's like, so, so like, we're almost to the end of the movie, right? Like, we're building up to the climax, right? We're 40 no, we're minutes 40 in. minutes into this two-hour movie when this happens. We actually checked the, uh, the, the, like... The like time on the on, on like, the video much, on how much the movie had. Not the first time we've checked the time on this video, but <laughs> yeah. this movie had a lot of. How far are we? <laughs> so we it, find we're less than halfway through. In the spaceship, Ilita finds a super cyber body. Immediately gets in a fight that causes her her usual cyber body to be destroyed. So she has to be chipped into the super yeah, cyber yeah, body. Hold on, yeah. There's a bit of a scene where her dad doctor goes like, "I'm not putting you." in that body. That body was made for war. You are not a warrior. You are what do you choose to be? I choose to be a warrior. Well, no, I'm not allowing you to make that choice. I'm going... Well, you kind of put me at a moral impasse here. Hopefully nothing happens to your current body. Cut forward. Well, I guess I have no choice. You're going in the cyber body. By the way, I think we skipped over the scene where we revealed that your current cyber body was a cyber body I made for my daughter who had a disability. No, that was so before that, actually. After that, she... We still skipped over it. We skipped, <laughs> yeah, yes, we, that's what I said. Yeah. I am having Metroid Other M flashbacks. <laughs> so we skipped over it, and we'll mention it because the scene is it's terrible. hilarious. You know what? Y'all have to explain that. Yeah, so, um, so basically... The scene happens where he reveals. Also, his wife came into the picture. We briefly mentioned his wife as being the paramour of the head of the robot league. It doesn't matter. None of this movie matters. Literally, the only point where it matters is they uh, set her up as if she's going to be an antagonist. Then she proceeds to literally do nothing and get killed off screen because she did nothing. So what was the point of that character? (laughs) So, uh, audience, we're going to play a fun game. Uh, Pick what you think would happen to the doctor's um, paraplegic daughter. Just imagine the most cliched scene you could possibly imagine. Okay, now that you've picked that out, I'm going to reveal what the movie tells you, which was the doctor had, in his past, built a cyber body for a murder ball player and was regretful of that. That murder ball player came to his um, hospital looking for drugs in the middle of the night, and he stopped him by going like, hey, no, don't steal my drugs. And he's like, I'm going to murder everyone. And then his uh, paraplegic daughter rolls into the scene going like, dad, what's going on? Instead, I'm going to murder your daughter. And then proceeds to kill his daughter. It's needed to provide a lot of dialogue that was not had by the No, no, the the, the (laughs) scene is very... Quick and quiet, but conveys the exact same emotion I conveyed to you. Yeah, and and like honestly, it's like a comedy cut of the of the daughter rolling into the scene. Like it's 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 shot like it's a joke. It, it is, is it is not given the reverence that scene deserves and comes off comedic because of just of that, yeah. 
the level and it's basically like yeah that was my paraplegic daughter's body me and my wife built for her we split up after she died that's not gonna come up again (laughs) except for the fact that the wife feels like you're kind of a surrogate daughter so a lot of unnecessary bullshit happens and Alita is given her super cyber body which also gives her banging tits as it turns out oh there is a scene (laughs) So the the body is androgynous up until Aelita's brain gets plugged in. And then the nurse, who we haven't mentioned, but she's a great side character, goes, ah, yes, the nanites are responding to her desire for what her form should be. And she gets banging tits. And then the nurse proceeds to go, doctor, she appears a lot older than you thought she was. That made it worse. Yes. Because... Aelita before this looked like a 14-year-old girl. Because, I think we're, because yeah. yes, yes, he I, used her, his daughter's his daughter. He, as he wanted her to be his daughter. So she built his body to be 14. Upon not, she looks like a nice 25-year-old woman. She is hot. <laughs> oh, my God. She is hot. Shut up. The movie will proceed to tell you how rocking her tits are. Oh, my God. How rocking her tits are, her, how bodacious her booty be. How weirdly sexual her relationship with her dad is. Yeah, it's it's very creepy and uncomfortable. There are a uh, lot this, of this. This killed me, okay? Because I I believe in transhumanism. I believe in using technology to rectify the flaws of the human body. I think that a cyber body, like the one that Alita has, is something that is a at every, overall good. Everyone and, should have a physical body that fully represents how they feel. Yes, Fair. yes, and. and like, we're, the, make, we're making fun of the whole, you know, nanites gave her rock and tits thing. I was not. <laughs> you, Jay wasn't. Jay admittedly <laughs> wasn't. I was purposely making Jacob uncomfortable. Well, if no, we're going to fully reveal how we watch <laughs> these movies, it's me being a see, dick to make Jacob uncomfortable. See, here's the thing, though. It, here's the thing, though. It does that at first. It was that bit at first. And then Alita goes over to her surrogate father and makes it actually no, weird. No, the movie does double down on this. But I... Audience, I feel the need to fully convey me and Jacob's friendship. I do antagonize him a lot yes. because it's funny. It, no, and it is. It is very funny. But the thing that the thing that I couldn't help but take away from it is, it started off as that dynamic. It was totally normal. And what Sam was mentioning about, like the the idea of. Um, Technology giving people like a body that actually represents them is indeed cool. And it like the movie conveys that. And then the movie proceeds to make it weird. And it actually becomes that joke we've been making. It, it proceeds <laughs> to double down on the man she has at this point told is not her father, and has had multiple scenes in this two-hour movie explaining this man is not her father. She then proceeds to, after having this new body, immediately display a daughter-father relationship. A filial affection. Which yeah. Doesn't come off that way, considering she's done so much to say that is not true. Mm-hmm. And the point I'm trying to get at, <laughs> I, w- I was trying to get at, was the cybernetic body, uh, despite having a feminine form, is inherently sexless. Uh, and We don't know that. We don't know that. <laughs> we don't know that. But it, it, it doesn't appear to have a physical sex to it. And so that makes Aelita being naked feel not being naked. 
until she puts clothes on and then taking clothes off becomes nudity. So when she gets the new super body and she's doing acrobatic stunts, spreading her legs in this naked form in front of her surrogate father. It gets weird. It's really weird. This scene is really weird. (laughs) Jay is nodding her head, acknowledging the scene is weird. Mm -hmm. That's the benefit of, of us recording in person. I can convey to you Jay's subtle head nods that are most of her opinions on things. I mean, I didn't pick up so much of the sexual overtures that you guys apparently zeroed in on because I am not a perv. <laughs> you know what? That's true. That's fair. In this Except context. <laughs> in this context is an important caveat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So the anyway, thing is you're self-aware. <laughs> a lot of supplement, a lot of unnecessary bullshit happens. We get to perhaps my favorite scene of disconnected narrative from action, which is Aelita is going to participate in Murderball because she needs money to send her boyfriend up to Super oh, Space Place. So boyfriend has an apartment. That is seven windows. (laughs) That is seven windows facing an open screen. Not a like blind to be seen. I'm like, that's the most cyberpunk thing possible. Is there's no such thing as privacy in your studio apartment? Also, he sleeps like shirtless. It's a very sexual scene. I also sleep in my tight jeans belt and no shirt. So in a fuckable position. This boy is awoken wearing tight leather jeans and no shirt and a crucifix necklace. Like, yeah, I don't even know what that means in this setting. It almost would have been less sexual if you were just wearing boxers. It would. It would have been. It would just be, I accept this reality where we do not have privacy. He then just seems to sexually put on a t-shirt. Because again, visually, layers of clothing imply different layers of nudity and sexuality. And there is a point where, you know, wearing one article of clothing and abstaining from another makes you more naked. So regardless, boyfriend has told her at this point there is a certain amount of money that gets him to... Zalem? Zalem. Zalem. Gollum. Zalem. Gollum. That's Zalem, right. Gollum, Zalem. So there's a certain amount of money that he's going to use to get up to the Zalem. 90,000. And it's 90,000 more. Yeah. And Aelita basically just goes, I'll sell my body for that. I'll no, commit. I'll sell my <laughs> No, she does sell. She does say, I'm going to sell my heart, the most valuable part of me. And because this movie doesn't trust its audience all, the scene immediately before this was the head of Murderball and the doctor's ex-wife going like, if we could just get her heart, that has Martian technology. I know what you're saying. Man, guys, you didn't mention the Martian technology at all. Doesn't doesn't matter. No one cares. This movie just throws shit at you and expects you to understand because that's how sci-fi works. It's a little, little, little of flavor. By the way, she's from Mars. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, Aelita's like, I'm going to participate in Murderball now. Wee! Well, I mean, we, we we barely touched on how awkward the the scene where she opens her shirt and pulls her still beating heart out of her chest to present it to Hugo is. I love it. Because, like, he, the, the best part is we were all really uncomfortable. Hugo was really uncomfortable with, like, oh, this is weird. He's, uh-huh. like, he's basically uh-huh. like, please stop. Please don't stop. do that. <laughs> But anyway, regardless, uh, the movie's then perfectly okay, saying everyone is now cool with Aelita committing murder ball. 
even her dad, the doctor, who is just like backstory reasons to hate it. He hates Murderball, except he's now just like, no, I agree. You should be Murderball. You should go compete in Murderball and be very good. And then upon watching the competitors realizes, oh, no, all the Murderball competitors are planning to kill you. Oh, no, that is against Murderball rules. You need to get out of Murderball. And she's just like, I, I thought everyone was always planning to kill me. This is Murderball. It's different because they're all against you. What? It okay. is It is slightly and different so because usually they would be after each other. The audience is not made immediately apparent what the difference the audience, is. Oh, the, yeah. The yeah. audience doesn't matter. The audience doesn't matter. <laughs> the audience is the person watching this movie. <laughs> the audience doesn't matter. The audience doesn't matter. That's certainly that what is the movie seems space to thing, Jay. <laughs> I'm just saying objectively, the whole, the whole dynamic is thrown off because instead well, of them yes. fighting each other, they are like working as a cohesive unit and to target you. Here's, here's the thing. It doesn't matter because murder ball happens and she proceeds to clown on every single competitor so none of the warnings mattered she clowns on all of them she breaks out of the arena at one point right before right before that i i want to point something out because this is this is very much the case where this is such an example of this is such an example of how movies can just like completely fail and fall on their face because there's a moment where like they're they're playing murder ball I have no idea what the rules of murder ball are, but like Alita has the ball that is the ball in murder ball and she's going around the track with it because there's a track, I guess. And um, well, at some point she throws like she throws it at one of the other competitors and it falls to the side. I understand what that's supposed to mean. They're dropping the pretense that this is a game of murder ball. This is just a fight now. Cool. That was never conveyed to the audience because we don't know what the rules of the yeah, stupid yeah, game are. Yeah, so audience, to explain to you, Murder Ball is introduced to us as like a street game that's basically ba- uh, basketball combined On with roller, roller derby. Like roller yeah. derby, right? Yeah. yeah. And what we see is like NASCAR combined with IGPX, if you remember that Toonami anime. Yeah. Like that's... Yeah, it, it, it's, it's literally just IGPX. So at one point... Uh, Oh, by the way, while this entire thing is happening, uh, Hugo is being attacked by one of the Hunter Warriors. He's kind of important, I guess. Uh, He's the only one who's ever mentioned by name. We don't remember remember his name. Call him Kirare because he has Kirare's sword from Batman Beyond. Sure. Why not? I was going to call him Damascus because he calls it the Damascus sword. Well, that's what Aelita calls it is you have the Damascus blade? This rare Martian weapon. But anyway, um, Hugo gets attacked by this guy. This guy well, commits a few well, murders. Well, no, because Hugo goes up to his crew and he's just like, hey, I'm not committing any of your parts junks anymore. And the guys are like, you can't get out. You're already too far in. We don't commit murder, but we steal body parts. And then Hunter Warrior comes in and is like, no, you committed murder. Kill that guy. That's you who did it. I'm doing this to get back at Ailita. None of this is conveyed in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, so, so technically, if you watch the movie, technically he should have an opinion. None of it's conveyed that it should be this extreme. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, uh, Hugo's being chased by Hunter Warrior Man. The, the, um, one of, one of his friends gets bifurcated. That's yeah. the thing that happens. Doesn't but, matter. No doesn't, one cares about him. No, it's, forward. it's, it's so so Aelita breaks out of murder ball, gets chased by three more guys, commits several murders in the process. Also, of this. I, I want to make it very clear. Aelita kills people. Aelita has killed 
at least she, a dozen people she on this already planet. the the first fight scene that she's actually in she explicitly decapitates and crushes the heads of two people but if I, you have a cyber body you're I, unusually durable but they make a point of saying if you destroy the head they're dead Ilita has killed at least 12 people without remorse at this point which is important for the scene that immediately proceeds <laughs> yeah because she finds Hugo she finds Hunter Warrior chasing him and I guess Hunter Warrior's fraud uh, gets Hugo accused of murder. And Elita's like, you, you killed someone? What? No. And it's this big, huge, traumatic scene of, I can't believe you killed someone. And he's like, As no. As if I just crushed somebody in a grinder literally 45 seconds ago. No, I never killed someone. Elita literally had seven Mortal Kombat kills in this movie. <laughs> yeah. And proceeds to care that her boyfriend might have murdered someone. I feel like a caveat here is that the fact that, first of all, she never asks what he does for a living. And second of all, the fact that she, like, assumes that the people she's going to be up against are similarly, like, bad people. Well, here's the thing. And people, just, and people can justify, it's okay if I kill them, they're I'm bad. wondering where her moral high ground is coming from is really my thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's sort of my take on it as well. Um... <clears throat> Anyway, she, and she's speaking down to someone as if he should be above this. Meanwhile, she has just physically murdered seven people. Yeah. So a whole bunch of convolute, a convolutable happens, which is the rest of this movie. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really don't feel like going beat by beat. We really can't. We I really don't remember. Yeah. So the long story short is that Alita has another war flashback of her as a Martian super cyborg trying to kill... Nova, who's the big bad guy, we haven't explained. The dragon it you need to slay. Yeah, Nova's the big bad guy. Don't worry about it. Don't think about it too much. He's the bad guy. Also, I don't think we mentioned Nova can take over the head of Motorball's eyes. They can take over several people. Also, yeah, also Adam, um, Smasher. Adam Smasher's eyes. But seemingly no one else's. But it seems to be implied he could do whatever he wants. I, I don't yeah. know. They're, they're, they they say explicitly that Adam Smasher has a chip in his head yeah. that is what's being taken over. It can be presumed that they're like because like this is this is a cyberpunk trope of you know eyes and ears everywhere but, but being Jacob, expressed very poorly. Jacob, we're already an hour and forty five minutes in this movie. We only have fifteen minutes left. What could possibly happen? Well, what could possibly happen is that Alita has her flashback of going to try to kill Nova, and then goes. And then uh, Hugo. There's like a whirly blade thing on a. There's a whirly blade. There's a whirly blade thing on a cable, which is a classic Sonic uh, hazard. You think you just jump over? It's real dumb. It, it, again, Hugo gets put in a cyber body. Hugo goes to try. Now that Hugo has a cyber body, he tries to climb. Oh the cable. yeah, because we completely forgot. Um, Aelita's mom sacrificed her life to save Hugo's head. And then when she got back, she was killed off screen by Nova for betraying her. Which I love it because she's not done anything this entire movie. And she got killed off screen because she didn't do something. She didn't do something when she could have. They set for her no reason. They set her up as a main antagonist and she gets dispersed off screen. Yep. So the point being that um, in Aelita's flashback, nobody jumped over the obvious Sonic hazard in the present, Aelita uh, and Hugo try to jump. Yeah, over yeah. Hugo it. has decided he's going to run up the cable connecting Zalem to Earth. Yeah. 
So uh, Hugo goes to jump over the hazard, misses, gets chopped to bits. Alita jumps over it because she's got a super body. The um, super body that all of them had the first time around. Which yes. Right, begs no, the nothing question. Is Hugo's then dying, hanging from a thread, going like, let me go, let me go. I know you saved me, but let me go. And I say, Alita's just like, I can't let you go. I love you too much. We can have a life together. This is exactly what Nova wants. And then like his body is snapping and it's just like, you are literally hundreds of times stronger than him. Why are you letting him dangle like you're both equal weights? Like the point of this scene in like a normal movie is you can't, you don't have the strength with one arm to hold a human body, but we've established your Martian body can do whatever it wants. Well, not only is she massively strong, but he's also not a whole human body. He's like a quarter of a torso and one limb. It doesn't matter. Hugo was saved. Did you die in the scene? Yes. And you're like, saying there's so many things in my head. Immediately, she could have used her legs to you know mm-hmm. like kick his body up so God. she could get a better God. grasp of him she could have fallen down with him and used her martian body to cushion the blow and save his head and if like us you were like man this is really intense how much of this movie is left you then look and it's like five minutes wait a second what <laughs> I, i've been had <laughs> and so we end on the cliffhanger ending, the sequel bait ending. Of Aelita has decided to retire from being a freedom fighter to join Murderball full time and has rose to the ranks to the head of it because as we've established, the only person that gets to go up to Zalem is the head Murderball player. Which doesn't make any sense because that's not what the head of Murderball told us earlier, but whatever. And Aelita then points her sword, which ignites in blue fire, which is a thing they establish she can do, but never never matters. It never matters, nor is it ever explained. Nope. And Nova then looks down at her and goes, oh no. And then the credits roll. And then me in the back of everyone else, because that's how we sit, going, what the fuck is this boy? We did, we did skip a scene where um, Alita confronts the murder ball head guy, but that doesn't matter either. Well, he's taken over by Nova, and then they talk with her, and nothing gets revealed is the thing. It's it's all things we already know. It's just Alita's being informed of things the audience knows. Yeah. And then she stabs him. And a really good line, I'll admit, uh, the guy controlling Nova goes like, oh, well, that wound appears, appears fatal. Well, <laughs> that was objectively perhaps the best Nova scene because he is piloting a remote body. He doesn't care that this body is now dead. So him having a completely normal conversation as the body is dying was a good indication of his, you know, power. Were, they've not done that previously. So this yeah. scene is... Yeah, it's, good it's, a, wa- it's, it's a good and, scene wasted. Anyway, I lead us squared up to fight Nova, and movie's over, thank God. Yep. This was okay. supposed to be the good one. So, I thought I thoroughly enjoyed it. Let's go around the horn. Uh, Jay, since you volunteered, uh, what do you think of this movie? Would you watch the sequel that won't exist? So, first off, I thoroughly enjoyed the movie. Um, not for the same reasons as Michael Hortz, probably, but... Um, I saw the potential it could have been and was very easily able to pick out the bits that could have been perhaps dumped on the cutting room floor to make this movie palpable. I did enjoy the action scenes, though. Uh, Sam, what'd you feel about this movie and would you watch the sequel that won't exist? I don't think I would watch the sequel that won't exist. I had a decent amount of fun watching the pretty cut scenes, 
but like you know I'm when I watch something that has a whole bunch of cyberpunk aesthetic I'm inclined to think about it a lot and I tried to think about this a lot and it just <laughs> that's a fair assessment honestly uh Jacob would you oh what was your opinion um this is this is very much the kind of thing that like my immediate reflex is like, oh man, I want to like see if I can like script doctor fix this. But because this is an adaptation, the the strongest sense that I get, that I get is, and in all honesty, this might actually mean that it succeeded in a weird way. I kind of want to check out the source material. Mm. I don't think I would. I'd probably have to be bribed to watch the sequel that wouldn't that won't exist. But um, I don't think I'd watch the sequel that won't exist. But I do kind of want to check out the source material almost entirely because I'd see the potential in this. There's a lot of cool here. In all honesty, there's a lot of really good metaphors that got explained to the audience. There was a really fun moment where we were mocking its ability to uh, or its uh, proclivity to constantly explain the metaphors. Uh, I'd rather be a king in hell than a, uh, than a servant in heaven. And then Matt <laughs> like says out loud, and now you're going to explain the metaphor, at which point the guy stands up and walks around another character <laughs> explaining how that metaphor works. Yes. It means I'd rather rather be at the top of the food chain at the bottom than a servant at the top. This movie does not trust its audience to understand shit. Yep. <laughs> so it was really funny in that. And honestly, the, the fight scenes were really cool and really well done. Yeah, <laughs> yeah fair. So uh, finally, Matt here. Um, you know what? If this movie gets a sequel somehow, I would love to watch it with my friends because I I love nothing more than watching a terrible movie with my friends <laughs> and being what? able to enjoy their suffering because I have excommunicated <laughs> myself from the enjoyment of the movie. I just enjoy that they're not having a good time. <laughs> Because I'm a good friend. <laughs> and now you understand the entire dynamic of this podcast audience. So thank you once again for tuning in to the OverMangaCast. As always, you can find us on all your social media platforms where we are at OverMangaCast on Facebook, Instagram, and maybe Twitter will still be alive by the time this goes up. And um, go to OverMangaCast.com where you can find all of our episodes and leave comments. And if you ever want to reach out to us directly, OverMangaCast at gmail.com. Great way to send reviews, requests, anything. I know we've been a bit behind on requests recently. We've had two theme months in a row. I'm sorry. We're doing uh, we're doing a request early December, not the first month in December, because that's how schedules work. But we'll get to it. What? Jay, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, make sure to join us again next week. Where we are rounding out. Where we're not watching anything at all. Funny that. If only. No. We are rounding out this panoply of pain with The Last Airbender. (laughs) Oh, no. But for you, you get to wait a week. Because our suffering is eternal, and I get to drink in the suffering of my friends. (laughs) And I'm going to go drink alcohol. Good night, everybody. (laughs) Good Good night, night, everybody. Good night.